0: Hello there. Uh, this is just a little heads up before things get going with this chat with Lee Jones, which is a really, really great chat. But it was that good; it went quite long. So this is just a heads up to say this is the first of two parts of this chat with Lee Jones. The next part will be available next weekend, so keep an eye out for that. But for now, here we go, Mr. Lee Jones. Hello and welcome to episode 7 of the Wrexham Legends Lounge podcast. Myself, I'm Ballard in association with Hill Street Social, Deep Breath. And joining us this week is former town striker Lee Jones. Lee, how are you doing, mate?
1: I'm very good. How are you? you
0: okay? Yeah, cracking, mate. Thanks for coming to join us. I was just saying then, before we started recording, that you're the first striker to uh, to, to come and join us on the pod. So, yeah, nice oh, little privilege. Honour yeah, yeah, to have you. Yeah. The, <laughs> thank you very much. There's a whole lot to talk to as well. We've got, obviously, your time at Wrexham, which was... Four spells across, I guess, 12, 11, 13 years in yeah, total. It was a yeah. Fair while. yeah, I think it yeah. was. And getting to move to Liverpool and getting to spells at other clubs like Tramir Barnsley. Uh, it's mm-hmm. the, your, your role uh, at Wrexham after you'd finish playing, and also what you're doing now. Um, yeah. your role in the game now. So, yeah, there's a whole lot to get through. And also, of course, we'll get to your Wrexham 11 at the end of this, which is yeah. um it's been a highlight of all these episodes so far seeing um seen a lot of the lads apart from Mark Carr right seen a lot of the lads squirm under um uh, prat- yeah i'll say that gas yeah. gas got gas when he thrived in it he was happy to to drop people it seemed like uh, but those <laughs> those episodes all, are all available to listen to uh, you can find just by searching rex and legends on all your major podcast platforms uh, spotify iTunes stitcher tune in all of those it's on there and also just Rex and Legends on uh, on YouTube so like subscribe comment retweet share feedback say how awful this is or how great it is. Anything is welcome. The nicer, the better, though. Um, so I guess what, to start things off with your Wrexham experience, because to me growing up, because we had so many, uh, I guess, kids coming through at the time, like Gaz Owen, Wayne Phillips, uh, Stevie Walker, Chris Armstrong, Phil Hardy, who would come from obviously from Liverpool, but was came through at Wrexham where we had all these young lads who were 17, 18 when they got into the team. I, it only was years later I realised that you weren't one of those players. You've been because you were at Lex first and then came to Wrexham as a seventeen-year-old. That's uh, it. Yeah. yeah. How how was that making that move and at seventeen as well to go to a professional football club from from Lex?
1: Yeah, I think well, obviously when I was playing and you and you always I always say well when I when I was playing back in time you think Jesus Christ it was that long ago. Uh, there were no academies, you know. There were no academies. There were no centres of excellence or anything like that. And I sort of uh, obviously always wanted to be a footballer. Wrexham was my hometown club. I used to bunk into the into the cop in the you know in the games. Jump over the fence. You sometimes you go under the fence, but however, just to get in and watch. And uh, so it was always sort of my aim to be a professional footballer, but to play for Wrexham Football Club. That's all I ever wanted to do.
0: Yeah.
1: And uh, sort of played local football, grassroots football, as it's called now, junior junior youth football. So the Wrexham Youth League was quite. You know, prevalent. If you like, they used to have an under 12s, 14s, and 16s. And I first started playing. God, it was when I was eight or nine. And the actual commercial manager now at Reps and Football Club is a guy called Jeff Scott, and he was my first ever manager. And he used to manage uh, Lex under 14s, and I used to play for them when I was eight. So oh, I used nice. to go across the road. It wasn't the time where you used to have obviously, you know, registrations and stuff like that. Well, there was registrations, but I used to play under a different name and stuff. So it was a little <laughs> bit, uh, but I was playing, you know, and, and that's sort of how my interest sort of grew. So I went through grassroots, uh, played up at Kevin Druids and, stuff, and places like that. And sort of, I was at the Grove School in Wrexham, but our PE teacher had no interest in football. He was a rugby teacher, he used to play for Wrexham. And uh, so, Sort of when I got to probably 15, 16, sort of fell out of love with being playing football because I just played it from when I was eight. Every week of training, you know, I was going, I was just basically in the park all the time and it got to sort of end my of school time. And I just thought, you know, I can't be bothered playing football anymore and didn't do particularly well in my GCSEs uh, and thought to myself, well, I'm not going to make it as a footballer now because... You know, many players were getting trials at sort of 10, 11, 12 in these clubs and obviously ended up at clubs, and I never did. Uh, I think I had a trial at Everton when I was sort of 14, but nothing really came of that. Uh, So, as I say, didn't do great in my exams, and I ended up going to Yale College, and there was a guy there, a PE teacher, called Mr. O.M. Edwards. Uh, And back in the day, all the sort of people would know who O.M. Edwards was. He was, you know, very well thought of around the Wrexham area used to do a lot of Wrexham schools and stuff. And I was doing PE as one of my resets. And this one particular occasion, he said to me, he said, I'm short for the football team on Tuesday. Can you come and play? And I said, I just don't want to. He said, listen, he said, it'll help out with your uh, results, should we say, at the end of the year. He said (laughs) it'll be beneficial. So I was like, well, yeah, okay, that's what I'm there for. So I ended up playing uh, a game against Key High School, I think it was. And I think we, we won the game and I think I'd scored one. And then about three or four weeks after, we were in the next round of this cup competition. And again, he said to me, I need you to play. And I said, I just, I've just done one game. I just don't really want to play. I made an excuse that I was walking the dog for my mum and dad. So I couldn't train at lunchtime. We didn't even have a dog. I was just doing everything I could to get out of it. So anyway, I ended up playing in this game uh, for Yale College against Lex. Within, it was like the Welsh Youth Cup, I think it was. And I think we'd, we'd won 5-0, I think I scored 4, whatever it was. And Cliff Sear happened to be there. And Cliff was watching. And at the same time, I was playing for Lex. I'd just broken into Lex's first team. And again, I was 16, playing in senior men's football and doing OK. And I just think, I, I think it's, I've always said, it's sort of being in the right place at the right time. And I'd done particularly well against Lex, scored four goals. And I got invited down to a trial game at the race course the following Sunday. And Cliff Sears said, come down 10 o'clock. He said, "Uh, just to let you know, we've got one YTS space available. So I said, oh, right, okay. And he said, "And come down and you'll be in a group of players who've all got an equal opportunity. So I walked into the race course. There was... 10 or 15 in, well, 15 players in the home change room, 15 in the away. Put me in the away change room. Uh, and I'm thinking to myself, well, there's 30 players here. I've got next to no chance. but I'll just go out and play. So played for about four, went onto the pitch, onto the race course. And I was like, wow, first time I've ever played on here. Uh, after about five minutes, Cliff here shouted over to me and he t- said, Lee, you'll have to come off. So I'm thinking, oh, that's it, I'm done. You know, I've only literally been on the pitch for five minutes, not done anything of note that I can recall. And he said, the, the manager wants to speak to you. He sat in the stands in the director's box. He said, so make your way up. And the manager wants to speak to you, obviously Brian Flynn. And uh, I walked up and he said to me, he said, uh, I've seen enough in five minutes to know that you're going to be a player. So I was like, well, right, wow, well, okay. He said, and I want to offer you the apprenticeship. He said, that's available. He said, the only thing is, he said, there's only one year. He said, so you'll come in as a second year. So you've missed 12 months of development. He said, so you're going to have to come in and hit the ground running. So I was like, right, okay. He said, so the only thing I really need to tell you is, he said, it's £35 a week. So I was like, right, okay. He said, and you're going to make sure that you put £5 of that in your pension. And I'm thinking... I'm 17, you're talking about pensions and you're talking about, I get £35 a week and you're putting five, and the best thing that you'd ever made me do, by the way. And literally made the decision there and I said, yeah, and took it. And that's where the sort of journey started. Uh, and then I think that was around the sort of May time and then we reported in the pre-season on the 1st of July, which was a bit of an eye-opener, you could say. Yeah, how yeah. was
0: it, I guess, oh, yeah. at this point, and also when you're playing for Lex, you talked about how it was very much men's football. So how was it as, as like a 16, 70 year old at Lex and then going to Rexman yeah. as well? But to be that that kind of, that slight, the, the nippy striker with the, the good movement, who, yeah. in the nicest possible way, you're asking to be kicked by centre-halves. So that, yeah, yeah, I mean,
1: probably the best thing was that I was quick because I, I could get away from, because when I played for Lex, and, so, and certainly, probably the earliest stages of my career, all defenders, and they were allowed to in them days. Yeah. <laughs> now you can't. You know, it, it was a free-for-all. It was just, they'd mark your card in the first 30 seconds by either putting you up in the air or basically saying they're going to break your leg. And that was that was the marker that was down. And that was from Lex. So I had that in the first game that I played in uh, for Lex. And I remember it, it was up at Kevin Albion. And I can't even remember what the centre-half was. Basically said, after a minute, I'm going to break your leg, son. And it's one of them sort of sink or swim moments. You either just go, oh, right, I'll go under or you go on and you do okay. And which obviously I, I, I went the latter one and, went and did okay. So I think when I first then went into Wrexham, having that sort of maybe six months experience of having threats, if you like, uh, from big area, centre arms, <laughs> it didn't really affect me. But going into Wrexham was a complete new ball game in terms of I'd never stood on a football or never stood in a training session and done anything other than have a 5 side So when you're growing up and doing grassroots, when I went to college, uh, when I was with Lex, when we were training, we, it was never we never did any coaching. And then it was when I first went to Wrexham that Brian Flynn, Joey Jones, Kevin Reeves, then there was obviously Cliff Seer who was our youth, youth team uh, manager with Brian Prandall and Idris Price. And it was like, right, stand there and this is what you've got to do to be a centre forward. So they would, Brian Flynn would tell me which runs to make. Joey would tell me how to get away from defenders. Kevin Reeves would tell me, because obviously he was, a, he was a Man City centre forward, how to back into players. And then I would have Brian Prandall, Idris Price and Cliff Seater telling me that if I don't listen to them, then I'm at the club. And it was sort of, that's the level that you've got to get to. So we had at the time, and I look back at it really fondly now, we had a fantastic mix of uh, staff, if you like, at the football club, you know, from from Brian Flynn, as I say, to Joey, who was the motivator, but was also like a second father to me, you know, I, and I still say it now, you know, he, he was on the pitch and off the pitch. He was like a second dad. Uh, and all the staff were fantastic and they all had their individual attributes. And I think obviously, you know, that's what, I put down to me succeed, and also my mum and dad, because they obviously sacrificed a lot for me to to be able to be a footballer. But certainly, that first twelve months at Repton was invaluable in terms of how they shaped me as a person and a footballer.
0: Yeah, I was, was yeah, going to touch on the, on on Kev Reeves because that, that's yeah. somebody who um, I believe went for a million quid at one point in time back in the day, and England, a couple of caps for England. This, like you said, yeah. played for Manchester City. This this England international striker. Uh, how was yeah. it to learn? Because everybody talks about Joey, who is Mister Rexham. Who yeah. I mean, everybody loves Joey and Brian Flynn, and Cliff here, But yeah. for you as a striker, how was it to learn from someone like Kev? Yeah.
1: Well, and again, like you just said, like Joey was was a European Cup winner, a defender. Yeah. So I sort of related to the centre forward in terms of Kevries. Obviously, Brian Flynn was, the, was a record Wales cap holder for, for, for the midfielders. So Kevries was my natural sort of go-to for improving my game. And, and I'm still saying that. I'm still, you know, slight, if you like. I put a bit of weight on. But during back in the day, I was there was absolutely nothing of me. There was an ounce of fat on me. And... Kev Reeves would say to me, he said, you cannot get into challenges with centre-halves. He said, because you physically can't. He said, so you've got to think of a way to impose yourself on a game of football, but not get involved in any of the physical side. So he said, how do you think you're going to do it? He said, and I was like, well, I'm quick. And he said, yeah. He said, but you can be quick and come to the ball and still get smashed up in the air, or you can be quick and you can run in behind teams and they can't catch you. He said, so that's what you need to look at and improve on. And that was sort of daily occurrence. But then I would speak to the gaffer, to to Brian Flynn, and say, what would you be looking for from me in terms of the runs I make? If you're playing me the pass, do I just run straight? Do I curve my run? Do I come short to go long? And then I would also speak to Joey and say, well, Joey, if you were marking me and I did that, what would you do? So... There was all, you know, it was, it was just invaluable and I learned so much. I mean, I was only there probably maybe just over 14 months before I went to Liverpool, but I learned so much from the three of them and, and, and from, from Brian Prandall, as I say, from Midris and from Cliff, you know, that them three were, were as valuable as as Brian, Kevin, Joey, just because they were they were doing it sort of at not the professional level, but bringing us through to play at that level. So by the time I'd already by the time I'd already made maybe 10 appearances, I'd played maybe 20 odd games for Wrexham in the Welsh National League, if you like. And we were going up to places like Corwin, Kevin Albion, you know, we were just getting smashed everywhere every week. And they were like, it's fine. Don't worry, that's how you've got to learn. You know, we were getting elbows in the face. I remember Phil Hardy getting a split eye after a minute up in Kevin Albion. And, and Brian Prann was like, this is football. You have to deal with it. We'll go and find him the job. And that's how it was. And as I say, I, I just, I, I can't thank them six, obviously, enough because they shaped me, as I say, the, the, sort of the person and the player that I become.
0: Yeah. But if I
1: didn't have that ground and then who knows what happened.
0: I was talking to Gaz <laughs> about this, about how you talk about going up to play these games in the National League and obviously yeah. we had the reserve team then. there was the, the Pontins leagues. So there was this kind mm. of structure in place where there was yeah. almost a gateway to the first team. There was yeah. A, a very clear path that you go through, and yeah. as has pointed out, if you get a few games as an 18-year-old a 19-year-old in the first team, and you, you drop out after a couple of games, you go back to playing reserves, and you go, so you are yeah. still always there's always that football there, there's always that men's football, um, and yeah, so yeah. that's something that's maybe a lot obviously Rex and we don't have a reserve team at the moment. Is that something you think yeah. is is massively missing?
1: Yeah, I think I think football suffers. I mean, obviously there's a lot of money in the game now, and that's to the detriment of the of the sport, if you like. Yeah. But I also yeah. think that Scrapping the sort of apprenticeship scheme was the worst thing that's ever happened in football. I mean, we would do so much off the field in terms of, you know, cleaning the toilets. And I mean, it's it's menial tasks of cleaning toilets, cleaning the baths, pumping the balls up, you know, cleaning the bibs, sweeping the floor, all that kind of stuff. But it's all them fine details that become, make you become a better person and a better footballer. So, Cliff Sear would come in on a Friday afternoon and we would do all the jobs and all the apprentices would have different jobs to do. And even if I'd been in the first team or Phil Hardy, because Phil had played probably 10 games and then came back, even though he was still apprentice, the, second, the first year that I was there was his second year. And he was sort of not like the leader of us as a, as a YTS group, but sort of because he had played in the first team, he was well-respected by all the lads because that's where they, where they wanted to get to. But Cliff Sear would come in on a Friday afternoon and say, right, lads, do the jobs, and I'll come and check them in a couple of hours. And if you have not done them, he wouldn't dig me out and he wouldn't dig James Kelly out or any of the other lads. He'd go straight to Phil Hardy because Phil had played 10 games and he goes, listen, you know the standards that's needed to play at that level. And if you're taking shortcuts by not cleaning the bath properly, by not pumping the balls up properly, by not cleaning the floor properly, then you'll take shortcuts on the pitch. So that got us all together. So Phil would then speak to us as a group of players and say, right, listen, this has got to be better. Um, um, it would drive the standards up. Whereas I think, obviously now, and I don't think, that, don't get me wrong, I don't think that players need to clean toilets and they need to clean baths, but it just brings you together. But cleaning boots, you know, I used to clean Wayne Phillips' boots and I used to clean Steve Watkins' boots when I was an apprentice. And at Christmas time, they'd give me a few quid, not much, by the way, but uh, and I always a about and walk up about that, but that was everyday occurrence. You had to go in and know that the boots had to be spot on and that was a, a, a gradual thing and obviously things have changed now and I don't think that, you know, they've, they haven't they have got the pathway now that we used to have. As you say, you're talking about the pathway, but I also don't think that they, there's the grounding at the bottom level and, and many, if you speak to many of the pros, you know, they, they say that's the detriment of the game now, but... You know, we could go into the first team. I, I remember playing, so my debut was against Man United on a Tuesday night in front of 18,000 people. And on the Saturday after that, I was playing, it may have been Corwin, Corwin away, I think it was, in front of one man and his dog. And I'm thinking to myself, hold on a minute, I've played in the first team, and then on, on the, but I, and I didn't have a particularly good game against Corwin, and then on the Monday, Cliff and... Idris and Brian Prandall got me in the office and said, just because you've played one game doesn't make you a good player. So he said, you'll now stay with us until you've earned the right to get back into the first team. And that's how it was, you know. So it's to keep you, keep you grounded, I suppose. I mean, when I went to Liverpool, and I can sort of go a little bit further on that later on, that was every day. It wasn't once, once in a blue moon. That was, every day was the standard was stupid. It was just unbelievable. But going back to reps and there was always that person to not bring you down, but to make sure that, you know, you didn't take things for granted. Yeah. So, it's it's yeah. not necessarily taking
0: the knees up on you. It's more stop you getting an inflated yeah. ego sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah. And and listen, when you did something
1: well, they were the first to, to let you know that you did something well. And, and, and I'll go back to a saying, and I'll never forget it. So Brian Prandall always used to say to me, listen, son, he said, a pat, a pat on the back, it's only six inches away from a kick up the arse. <laughs> and I've always took that through with, and he told me that when I was 17, that that was a particular moment that he said something to me. And I thought, and it's always stuck with me. And I thought, bloody hell, do you know what? You're, you're right, because you could do something well and they'll pat you on the back. But if they keep patting you on the back, you'll all of a sudden think, oh, I'm a good player. But no one's ever the complete player. You know, everyone's trying to improve. You look at the top end now at Ronaldo and Messi. They don't, you know, don't wrestle the laurels. They're always out in the afternoon practicing because they want to get better. They're the best two players in the world. So why wouldn't we be doing that? Or why shouldn't we be doing that at, you know, at a lower level?
0: Yeah. Um, and you mentioned it there, you touched on it about your debut against Man United in the, the Cup yeah. Winners' Cup, which yeah. it's, um, it's, it's weird to think of now, because I remember going to European games um, the the I can't even pronounce it. call the the Romanian game. Well, after, yeah, uh, yeah. I think after you well, you gone. Um, the Romanian wasn't it? The Romanian yeah, team. Isn't it? Yeah, that was it. Where we we had a yeah. dire, dull, horrendous nil nil. It was just 0-0. It was so boring to watch on the Tuesday night in the yeah. kiss wet rain, and then we went away and got beat one nil. But it's yeah. it's crazy for people who maybe are I don't know who were teenagers now or in their twenties or even some mm. in the yeah. early thirties who like aren't really aware that, well not they're aware but. They'd never got to see Rex and play European football because that was a regular thing. And it's yeah. it's. I was talking about this again yeah. to, to Gazo about how it's not to think of a, a team who would be in the this more well, the third or fourth division of their football pyramid playing European football uh, on a semi regular basis. But how yeah. was that to for you? Because that was back then was when there was the, the rule in place where a nation could only play. I think it was three foreigners. Um, so obviously Wrexham we were uh, a Welsh nation we, we were in there yeah. for winning the Welsh Cup so we could only play three non-Welsh players but yeah. how is that for you to then all of a sudden go from Leicester you're in obviously the bright lights of the race course but playing Man United like yeah. 18,000 yeah. well, European football
1: yeah and again it was it was quite strange because I remember we played Lingby in the in the round yeah. before and uh, we'd we played at home and I, I think we drew nil nil. I think it was but I was suspended for that game because i had actually got sent off playing for Lex in my last game for Lex and the, and the suspension carried on. So I missed the first game. So I'm sat in the stands. I'm thinking, you know, I'm gutted because I've missed this European game. But in the second leg, as you say, because there was like this rule that you had to have or there was only three or four sort of foreign players allowed, myself and six or seven of the other apprentices were all on the bench. So it was fantastic for us. And I remember going over to Lingby and we beat Lingby 1-0, and then obviously uh, we went to Old Trafford, and I think we got beat 3, I think it was, and we we were sat on the bench there, and I didn't really, you know, I'm sat on the bench, and I'm thinking, you know, 17, play for Lex, probably two or three months prior to that, and I'm thinking, well, I'm at Old Trafford, it's an unbelievable stadium, it's even even better now, but I never even dreamt that I would be playing against Man United, and then, we were, we were training at Wrexham Rugby Club on the day of the game and we are training in the morning and Brian Flynn's got us all together around sort of half past ten and he named the team and he said my name in it but didn't mention to me or none of the staff mentioned to me that I was playing. And I'm stood there and I'm thinking, I'm sure, he, I'm sure he said my name then and uh, Kev Jones, who is obviously still... With, with us, with the with the legend stuff, he said to me. He said, there, "He said your name then, because me and Kev both played up front." And I said, "No, I said he didn't." And he said, "You did." He said he definitely said your name. So I'm sat there, stood there thinking, "I'm playing." So we trained. We we trained. He, he didn't say anything to us. So we then trained for about forty five minutes, and I'm training, thinking, "Am I playing tonight against Man United?" It's just <laughs> surreal. So we finished training and then Brian Flynn says to me after he says can you have a word so Brian and Joey and and Kev were there he said just to let you know you're starting tonight and I said oh right he said didn't we wanted to tell you yesterday but we don't want you to worry about anything just go and play with 3-0 down but just go and play and enjoy it and I'm thinking he said because if I'd have told you yesterday you probably wouldn't have slept would you and I said oh no so that was how it was. So, literally, I got told at 11 o'clock, whatever it was on the Tuesday, Wednesday morning, and then reported to the ground at 6, and then, obviously, made my debut in front of 18,000. I remember coming out and thinking, oh, my God, the place was absolutely rocking. We're 3-0 down, and probably you've got no chance of winning the game, but the place and the fans were just unbelievable, and, and I just... I've sent sugars down by now just thinking about it. It was just... It was, for someone who lived five minutes away from the training ground and all I ever wanted to do was be a professional footballer and all I ever wanted to do was play for Wrexham Football Club and the team I supported as a boy was Man United and playing in the European Cup winners cup against them at 17 I'm thinking oh my god what's going on it's just and I still look back at it and I, you know I've got the programme and I, I I even sort of how I got it I don't know I've got the pennant so when wow. the captain, so I've yeah. got the pennant as well I've got that upstairs? How I've got it, I don't know, but it's of somehow worked its way to me. Uh, and I know it, and you know, I look back and I think, "Wow, I just can't believe that." And it was just, it was just surreal, you know. And I still look back and think, and sometimes I pinch myself to think that it, it actually did happen. And then obviously, that was the start of sort of things to come, I suppose.
0: Yeah, that, that's a hell of a keepsake that uh, that that pen from that game. Yeah. Wow! Yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah. It's, what was, uh, how was it to like, once you obviously, like you said, you, you get on the pitch and it's all it's your, your team, your local team, the team yeah. you want to play for against the, the team you spot as a kid in front of yeah. a, a packed race course, in front of the lights. But How is it yeah. then after the game? Like how, what's that, I guess, the buzz like and how, how long does it take you to kind of come down from that? Like, did you even sleep that night?
1: Yeah, I, oh, I don't think I did sleep. I, I, I remember and it was, it, and again, I know I say this to, to many people, we played Man United and whenever, whenever I played for Wrexham, there was, there was always encouragement so in terms of you know, come on, you need to do better and this and that. But when we played Man United, I I was stood there and thinking, and you know, Steve Bruce was hammering Paul Lynch, Paul Lynch was hammering Les Seely, and I mean proper verbal abuse. And I'm like, is this what actually goes on at the top level? And I and I sort of couldn't get my head around it. And obviously after the game, I sat, you know, sat and spoke to Joey and I said, Listen, that's how cutthroat it is, you know, yeah. and it's not if I give a pass away, Joey would shout, hey, come on, you need to do better, mate. But in that game, if Danny Wallace, who was playing at the time, and I'd, I'd give away a pass, Paul Lynch verbally abused him, you know, to get to get the better out of him, you know. And Gary Pallister and, and Steve Bruce, and they, they were just absolutely ripping each other. I'm thinking, wow. When I got to Liverpool, I, I then knew that that's what, that was the norm. Yeah. but. As a 17-year-old making his debut, it was a little bit, wow, these are Man United players, and they're just absolutely abusing each other. They
0: hate each other.
1: <laughs> yeah, it, it was pretty much that. And then, obviously, after the game, sort of it was a bit of a bit of come-down the day after. Uh, and as I say, I think on the Saturday, I played in the Welsh National League somewhere. I can't, I'm can't. i almost sure it was at Corwin. I'm not 100% sure. Uh, so I'd gone from playing against Man United on the Tuesday or the Wednesday and then playing at Corwin, and then I made my league debut away at Northampton, I think it was, which was on the following Friday. So it, it was sort of, i have gone from a high to a bit of a low and then back up to a high again. So, but that was, again, that was the way that, that the lads, certainly at Wrexham, they did it, the staff did it. But they could as well, because the year that I was there, uh, sorry, the the following year after the Man United, there was no relegation. So, obviously, yep. Brian Flynn then put his trust in all the young lads himself, Gaz Wayne, Jonathan Cross, you know, we had a lot of you, Stevie Watkins a lot of young players who basically for 12 months were given free reign on the pitch and no pressure. So, it was, it was, it was a good grounding, yeah, and loved the place.
0: Yeah. In terms of the grounding, though, you're saying about going from Man United to to say Corwin, whoever it would be. Yeah. Uh, do you then get that? I don't know, like you said, the big hairy ass centre half who's behind you going, All right, superstar, play against Man United, did you, in the week? I, I can't honestly think that it happened, if I'm being I It
1: probably did happen. Yeah. Uh, but I, I don't recall anything like that on the Saturday. I remember playing at Northampton and the centre half at Northampton booting me up in the air after about five minutes just because I was a young lad, but that, that was the norm, you know, it, you know, Joey used to do it to, to, to the opposition as well, and it was just, that was the norm back then, you, you could get away with three or four really bad challenges before the referee would even speak to you, you know, it's and that's how it was, you know, and obviously football's changed now, you know, there's a lot more cameras, you, you wouldn't get away with a tenth of what used to go on, you know, it used to be stuff off the ball, so the ball would be, There'd be a corner at the other end, and someone would be marking me on the halfway line, and someone would throw an elbow in the side of your face, and nothing would happen. Yep. You know, you'd say to the referee's looking at the other end, the lines are looking at the other end, and they're like, just get on with it because that's how it was. Whereas now, you can't breathe without anyone falling over. It's, uh, it's changed massively.
0: Yeah, What was the mentality like then back then with the squad that you are in at Wrexham with that, that first spell? Because like you yeah. said, there was all these young kids that it was basically just like a, a free hit that season where it was a case of, right, yeah. no relegation. Um, let's give these lads yeah. 20, 30, 40 games, whatever it is, yeah. get some experience. But we, there was the mix of the older heads there as well. There was a, yeah. a, a Joey, um, i trying to think if Alan Kennedy might have been there by that point. Um, yeah, like like Andy and Zachary, people and like that. Was, uh, Andy Thackeray yeah. How was yeah. that then just that mixture of the kids and that older head. It seems like a really good mix on paper.
1: Yeah, it was, it was a good mix.
0: I mean, th- there was a few sort of, we had a few issues
1: later on with sort of, well, the captain at the time was John Bowden. Yeah. And uh, Joey, we, we, we lost one game, whatever it was, it was middle of the season and we'd lost one game. And uh, obviously there was seven or eight young players playing and John, John Bowden came in after the game and started digging out all the younger players. Basically, saying he said, You know, we're not, they're not good enough to play for the football club. We shouldn't even be playing in the football league, this and that. And I remember I was on the bench that particular day and I just remember Joey coming in and Joey lifted John Bowden off the floor and basically stuck him on the coat peg and said, Don't speak about the young lads like that. This is the future of the football club. And if you don't like it, you're out. John Bowden never played for the football club after that. So because he came in and dug all the lads out, I mean, yeah. we were all like, go on, Joey, give him a dig. But <laughs> he never did. But, uh, but that that was Joey to a take. He wouldn't have anything bad said about the young lads. You know, it was, we were there to learn. And if we made mistakes, so be it, you know. And, and obviously we made loads of mistakes because we finished bottom of the league. But the season after, you know, the club were nowhere near the relegation spots only yeah. because of Brian Flynn and the Stats' belief that the youngsters were good enough. And, you know, you're you never... And I'm the same now, you know, you look at teams. Managers don't give young players, they say, oh, they're inexperienced. But they're never going to be experienced or get experienced unless you throw them in and expose them to the men's football. And some will sink and some will swim. But it's having that sort of belief. And yet it was a free hit, you know. If we could have... If we probably... Could have got relegated would Brian Flynn have still thrown in the young players? Yes, I think he would would you have thrown in as many probably not, and we'd have probably instead of playing thirty games only played probably ten or fifteen, but he still had that in the belief that the younger play the young lads were good enough and that's that's what went on and, and that's why the club was successful under Brian Flynn you know yeah. because he had, he had belief and, and obviously and, and the others you know Joey and the other staff because he had belief in us.
0: Yeah. So, but it, it was just, it was, it, it was like you said, it was, he carried on doing that even when it was the years after that, whether it was Mark McGregor, Neil Roberts, Neil exactly. Wainwright, someone like Scott yeah. Williams, he'd come in and yeah. maybe they didn't quite hit the heights of those guys, but he was he was given a chance in there. Yoza, yeah. obviously, yeah. he'd come into the middle of the park. So, exactly. Brian Flake seemed to be all about just giving the young lads a go, bringing Darren in from Norwich and throwing him straight into the fire. Yeah.
1: Well, you look at the story with Chris Armstrong. Chris Armstrong yeah. was on a yeah. similar path to what I was, he'd packing chickens in flight. In a, in a factory and they, and they pulled him out of the chicken factory to come and play. He ended up going to sign for Millwall for something like 125,000 ended up at Palace and Tottenham for worth millions. Yep. You know, that's just, that's just one of them. Truns, Lee Trundle's another, another example later on, you know, playing at real goes on and, and Trun's is arguably one of the most skillful players I've ever played with. But that's what, that's what they used to do. They used to be fantastic at it. They could spot something in somebody even though you weren't anywhere near the finished article, and as I say, they, they, they took me off the pitch after five minutes, and I'm thinking I'm done in my trial game, but they saw something in that five minutes to think he's got something, and again, and that's that's the way that they've done. You know, I'll, I'll tell you <laughs> I'll tell you a story after about Carl Connolly. I don't know whether you know the the story about Carl Connolly when he signed for the football club. So he'd come on trial. He was playing for a team uh, called Napoli in yes. Sunday, Sunday League <laughs> football in Liverpool. True. And honestly, it was one of the funniest things I've ever seen in my life. So I played up front with him in a reserve game up at Lex. That's where we used to train. And then the week after, he got invited back. And myself and Joey were sat in, it was the Marston stand, the border stand. I can't think of what it's called, Rex Rent stand or something yeah. it's called. There's many different names. So we're sat in there watching a reserve game against, I think it was Car- Carlisle or Darlington or something like that. And Carl's playing and Carl's dad and brothers were all sat in the turf, but you could see the pitch at the time, so there wasn't the, the Price Griffith stand there, the Mould Road stand. So they're all sat on the veranda drinking beer while the game's going on, and Joey's saying to me, he said, oh, my God, he said, Do you know what? He said, if, because obviously Lugger, we used to call it, if Lugger scores, he said, it's all going to kick off, And it? He said, look at, look at his dad. He said, look at his brothers on, the, on there. He said, they're absolutely leathered. This is 2 o'clock on a Wednesday afternoon. <laughs> so about half an hour after, Carl scores. So Joey went, here we go, like this. Next thing, you see them coming down the stairs with pints in their hand. They jumped over the fence, over the advertising boards. There's beer everywhere. There's only four of them. There's beer everywhere. And they're doing forward rolls and stuff on the pitch. <laughs> and I said to Joey, I was like, are you going to sign him? Like that, he went, Good player, isn't he? I said, yeah, he's very good. He said, but he said, we'll have to get some lager in for his dad and for his brothers, though. And that was how they signed him. You know, Carl Conley from Napoli in a Sunday league. And he went on and what a career, you know, obviously King Carl, they call him, and, and he's well regarded as one of the sort of Wrexham legends, you know, and you just look at it. How how do they discover Carl Conley? Yeah. Crazy, yeah. you know, it was crazy how they did it. But they had that knack, the staff had that knack of identifying, you know, players from little bits and pieces uh and 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 gambled on giving them opportunities you know they could have brought Carl Conley and never given him a game but they gave him a game and said right go out there and go and play and so let's see what you can do and the rest is history i suppose
0: yeah i remember yeah. as a kid like standing in the cop or in the paddock even and my first thought of going it was um what is the price Griffiths, the mos down was that was when it was derelict yeah. and I, yeah. I remember just sitting there thinking like one day, I'm going to sit on that balcony in the turf and have a beer and watch the game. It's going to be great. By the time yeah. I was old enough to drink, massive stand there in the way. It's like it? the stand on there, yeah. yeah. It's disappointing, isn't it? Know, yeah. The balcony's still there, but yeah. obviously the big yeah. stand in the way. I um, can't see anything now, can you? No, no but
1: they should, they should have done something to incorporate that, to incorporate the turf into that stand, I think. I mean, hopefully, you know, I'm not saying it's going to happen, but it would be nice if, if, now the new owners have got involved, if they could do something... Because the turf's got a massive part to play in the football club, oh, yeah. You yeah. Know? heritage-wise, it's unbelievable. So to sort of put a stand in front of it and not disregard it, but not be on sight, on view, I think that, and I've always said it, they should, in court, they should somehow try and redevelop that stand to still have the turf balcony so they can see the game. You yeah. know, I think it'd be yeah. fantastic.
0: Yeah, I think a lot of fans are like that. But yeah, you talk about like the random not yeah, I guess random players that, that got uh, a chance to on them. I suppose I think like Andy Murrell was a what was it, a Newcastle yeah. Red Star or Blue Newcastle Newcastle Red Red Star or Newcastle yeah, something like that. Yeah, yeah. Red yeah. Star that's it. Yeah. yeah, or like Paul Roberts from yeah. Port Maddox, that didn't quite work out, but again, just yeah. scouring the, the, the systems there and thinking, yeah. oh give him I, a, I a go. As I say, give they had, they had probably
1: well, I, I don't think there was a scouting system at the time. It was a little bit of word of mouth. The club would play pre-season friendlies against the likes of Port Madag and, and, you know, different clubs. And Joe, I think I think the Andy Morell one came from Rob McCaffrey, who was the presenter at ITV. Yeah, yeah. And who was, was from that area, who was a good mate of Joey. And I think he said to Joey, listen, there's this good player up there. Within a couple of days, Joey had brought him in. And then obviously, and again, the rest is history, you know, but right. that's what they used to do. Whereas now oh, they have to have a six-week trial period, they have to do this, they have to be able to at this score with their an analysis, you know, they have to be able to run this amount in a game. Or I get all that, but nobody really takes chances on players now. And if they do, they end sometimes haven't got the ball to follow it up and throw them in. Whereas, yeah. as I say, and again, you look at how many players went through the system and have either gone on to play at a higher level or have gone on to be coaches or managers or whatever it is, you know, they've all gone on and been really good people and really good players, you know. Yeah. So it's it's testament to to the staff, as I say.
0: Yeah, there's, there's so many players that have gone on to play at a higher level. But then, what some people might not be aware, of, I mean, obviously we'll get to yourself later on after we've talked about your career. But there's like yourself gone into scouting now with with Burnley. There's Barry mm-hmm. Hunter's doing the same, uh, something similar at Liverpool. Liverpool. Mark Morris, yeah. a goalkeeper coach at Liverpool. I believe Paul Whitfield's over yeah. now. Um, yeah. T Humes is, I think he's back at Ipswich now or yeah. Manchester. So there's just all these former players who've gone off yeah. elsewhere into of other clubs after their careers come to an end. It's yeah. um, As well as, obviously, look it at the people who went on to play higher, like yourself or someone like a Carlos yeah. Edwards who went into the Premier League. It. Yoza, it's the list is endless, if you know. The list is endless.
1: If you went back and looked at all the players who, who sort of played in that era, if you like, and to a certain extent, the lads who played in the, in the promotion winning team that I was in, yeah. they've all gone on and, and been you know, they've all gone on and, and had good careers, you know, at whether they've stayed in football or they've done something else, they've all all gone on and been good at what they do, you know. So as I say, it's like I said to you before, the first thing I said, it, they don't reps from many years ago. It wasn't just making them be a good football; It was making them be a good
0: person as well. Yeah,
1: And I think that's what, yeah. you know, that's what they've done. Yeah. Certainly.
0: Well, it's it is because like, you're revered as this legendary Rexham striker, and you are. But it's that that first spell was when you look back at it, it was ridiculously short. It was it was like basically a year, and then straight away, yeah. so you gone from, in the space of essentially 12 months, you've gone from Lex to Wrexham to then, yeah. hold on, Liverpool are knocking on the door. Uh, um, yeah. And it wasn't that, obviously, there was the West Ham goal, which is revered yeah. in Wrexham folklore, but it wasn't just that. I think it was got it written down there somewhere, 16 goals and 34 starts as a 17-, 18-year-old mm-hmm. in men's football, in league football. That's a yeah. uh, hell, hell of a stat there. So when did you kind of... How quickly did this all come about? The fact that, you, OK, you, you've made your Wrexham debut, you made your, your league debut, you've started to yeah. get a few goals, and then the, just this, I don't know, whirlwind of momentum that, that kind of came, and within a, yeah. a year or so, off you go. Yeah, I, as I say, it's, I wouldn't say that I
1: found it easy to, to make the transition from sort of Lex, if you like, to play in league football with Wrexham. But I didn't find it difficult. You know, it wasn't. It wasn't all of a sudden that I thought I'm going to struggle to score goals. You know, I used to. I used to play in the res in the reserves in the midland senior league, and I'd score goals in that league. I played in the Welsh National League, and I scored goals in that league. And then when I went into the first team, I scored goals quite regular as well. So it wasn't sort of, even though it wasn't easy, it wasn't as hard as you probably would expect. You know, the step up. But then. I, I, I go back to obviously, like I said before that we had really good staff, but we also had really, really good players, Yeah, so, you know, in the team. And I think without, and it's the same, it's, it's an old cliche that no player is ever going to get a move on his own. You know, it's always the team that's behind the person that goes on to get a move. And we had good, you know, we had great lads, still a met, you know, many of them are still my mates now, as you know. And, you know, we did have a we have, we did have really good players at the time, so I think that was that's a massive help. You know, and, and it was credit to all of them that I ended up getting the move, if you like, to to Liverpool, uh, and that was something that sort of happened overnight. You know, in terms of my move, I was got I got a phone call at five o'clock one Wednesday evening. We'd played on the Tuesday uh, against Scarborough, and I think we'd won the game two 0 I'd scored. And at the game, we knew the Graham Sooners was there to watch Phil Hardy. And Graham Sooners was in the in the tunnel before the game. So everyone was like, oh, it's Graeme Sooners, blah, blah, blah. I mean, for me, if it would have been maybe Alex Ferguson, I'd have been a little bit, oh, wow, it's Alex. But I was a Man United support. So it didn't really register with me that Graham Sooners was there. So I went out and played and I scored. And, and from what I recall, I had an okay game. I don't think I was anything special, but I, I just I scored. And I got a phone call. So the, we had the day off on a Wednesday, and a phone call on a Wednesday evening, about five o'clock, from Brian Flynn. Uh, Can you get yourself home? I need to speak to you. So I thought, Jesus Christ, what, what's happened? So I walked back home, and my, my parents had at my house in uh, Roseley, which was literally a mile away from the ground. That's exactly where I'm sat right now. I'm sat in my uh, house in Roseley, yeah. <laughs> in Roseley. So, yeah, so you know it well. I was in, in Fourth Mum, which is at the top of, of Roseley, And uh, as I'm walking back into my mum's street, I can see the chairman's car, big silver BMW. I'm thinking, Jesus, something's gone on because I've got the manager phoning me up and then I've got the chairman's car parked outside my house. So I'm thinking I'm in for a massive balkan, if you like, because I didn't know what had gone on. So I walked in and uh, Gaffer said to me, he said, "Uh, well done Tuesday night. He said, but obviously, you know, I'm not here to speak about that. And the chairman sat there drink, with my mum and dad drinking a cup of tea. And I'm thinking, what's going on? He said, we've had a bid for you. And I said, oh, right, OK. And obviously, I said, right. He said, uh, and we'd like you to, we're not trying to push you out. He said, but we'd like you to consider it. Because if you don't go, we're struggling financially in terms of the club. So I said, oh, right, OK. So he said, that it's Liverpool and I was a little bit, the Liverpool. And he was like, yeah, the Liverpool. So I was like, right. He said, they want you to sign. He said, Graeme Souness was there the other night and was impressed with you and he wants you to sign. So I was like, right, okay. So what do you think? And I was like, yeah. He went, okay, go upstairs, get a shirt and tie on. He said, and we're going now to Liverpool to sign. Oh, so they're playing West Ham tonight. After seven, kick off. This was like sort of half five now, so I drove over in in the car, uh, pulled up into the ground, and there was like cams all over the place There's obviously new I was signing, taking photographs, and then walked into the into the uh, stadium, went up into the directors box to watch the game, and there's like photographers everywhere, and I sat down. They said, "Oh, that's your seat." So I'm sat down, and then I looked to my left, and Kenny Dalglish is sat next to me. And I'm like. Jesus Christ, that's Kenny Dalglish. So he was like, how are you, son? Blah, blah, blah. I believe you're signing tonight. You'll love the club. It's a fantastic club. And he was talking to me for about 10, 15 minutes. And I'm like, my head is just spinning. And Liverpool had played the game. They played against West Ham and they won 1-0. And then after the game, he said, listen, all the best. He said, and I'll see you, see you around. So I was like, okay. Walked back down into the changing rooms, had my medical. Ian Rush walked out of the change room. And he said, oh, he said, I believe you're the new Ian Rush. And I was like, didn't know what to say. I'm thinking, Ian Rush had just spoken to me. That's all I'm thinking is. And I just, he said, you're not having my shirt. like that, And I started laughing and I went, right. Had my medical and that was it. Signed and done. And I didn't discuss any money. Didn't discuss how long the contract was. It was only the day after that we were playing in a game uh, at Coventry, reserve game. And I'd gone in into Liverpool with a pair of boots, Puma boots that I'd had for 12 months. And again, I've still got them upstairs in the loft somewhere that have, how you play football. And I'll just never know. There was holes (laughs) all over the place. And I walked in in the morning and Phil Thompson said, go into that room there, which was the boot room. He said, go in there and get what you want. So I walked in. I was like, right, pair of boots. So I took a pair of boots, walking back down the corridor, he said, Son, where are you going? And I said, oh, I'm going to put these in my car. And he went, Well, they're not going to last you. He said, Get back in there and take what you want. So I'm like, I've gone from Wrexham where I had one pair of boots all season and a tracksuit. I'm in now in this room, which is God knows it, it's like JD Sports. And it's just wall to wall full of clothes, tracksuits, jumpers, you name it, boots, trainers. He said, go in there and get whatever you want and put it in your car, load your car up. So I literally, I had about six back and two. Um, arm was full of gear, put it in my car. And I've got in the car and I'm thinking, what can we do with all this stuff? So I thought, right, I'll drive back to the race course. So I drove back to the race course. I kept two or three pairs of boots and a couple of tracksuits to myself and the lads had the rest. Because <laughs> I just thought, what do I do with it all? Yeah. So and that, that was the start, if you like. And then <laughs> that night, we're playing Coventry in a reserve game and I'm on the bench. And put me on with a, literally a minute to go. Ball's gone through, over the top, got on the end of it, gone round the keeper, tight angle, hit the post. We end up winning the game 1-0. Phil Thompson coming after the game, well done, blah, 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 blah. Gets to me and he said, and you you might as well go back to Wrexham Football Club now because you're no good for, for Liverpool Football Club. And I went, like oh, And I'm thinking he's joking. He went, I'm not joking, son. He said, get your gear. He said, we'll cancel your contract now and go back. He went, because if you can't finish that kind of chance, you're no good to us. He said, so if you want to speak to the gaffer and get the gaffer to rip your contract up, you can go back to Wrexham tomorrow. And I'm like, oh, wow. And that was the start of things to come for five years. That was the standard every day. Every day was like that. It was just relentless. Honestly, it was was crazy. But that was sort of how it sort of evolved from being playing at Wrexham on a Tuesday night against Scarborough to playing in the reserves at Highfield Road on the Thursday night with the the signing in between. That's how quick it happened. And I still didn't know at the end of the week what I'd signed for, what I didn't know, what my wages... Didn't know if I had to sign an on fee. I didn't know how long I'd sign for. All I knew was that it was three hundred thousand pound from Wrexham to Liverpool, and if I made fifty appearances, which I never did, was another three hundred thousand pound, and that was the only information that I knew. It was only probably a week, ten days after that, I knew that it was actually what I was getting paid.
0: Yeah, that, Crazy. Was, that was that was a huge feat at the time, um, and still is one of Wrexham's record yeah. transfers that we've that we've sold. Yeah. Yeah, uh, was obviously uh, you've been told by the chairman by by, by Price Griffiths and by Flinny that mm-hmm. you don't have to go, but we need we kind of yeah. need the money. Was there yeah. like, was there a part of you that thought oh, I kind of want to stay, or was it just well, it's a, it, obviously it's a massive a massive opportunity to go to a Premier League club to go to Liverpool, yeah. um, and for that yeah. money for the club, w- was there yeah. any part of you that thought about saying no? Uh...
1: I did uh, I, I did honestly think that I just wanted to stay at Wrexham because I felt that I'd only been at Wrexham for sort of five minutes, which I had. Yeah. And again, Wrexham was my hometown club. I only ever wanted to play for Rexham. You know, I, it didn't really bother me about maybe playing for Liverpool. If it had probably been Man United at the time, then I'd have probably gone, oh, 100%, definitely need to, I want to go. But it did, I was a little bit, I'm not sure. But when obviously Brian and Price said to me, Listen, if you don't go, financially, we don't know how long we can keep afloat and, and the club might struggle to even survive. It was straight away, well, I've got to go because I couldn't see my hometown club, you know, folding, because not that it would have folded just because I went, but, you know, I couldn't see them in that sort of financial difficulty. After giving me the opportunity of being a footballer and then giving me the opportunity to play against Man United to then sign me as a professional on £100 a week, I was like well, I've just got to go because Wrexham because Football Club meant so much to me and still does, yeah. you know? So yeah. that was the reason that I ended up going.
0: Because it was kind of such a quick, uh, like you said, within two days you'd gone from playing uh, mm. for Wrexham, well, for Wrexham against Scarborough to then playing uh, Res East for the football against Coventry. Was there a chance for like a, a bit of a send-off from the lads or was it just all... No,
1: no, not, not really. I mean, obviously I, I, I played my last game on that Tuesday night, so... Yeah didn't know anything about it. So it wasn't like I could go around and clap the fans or whatever it was, you know, and it happened just that quick. It was, it was literally, as I say, I was, I was the last time I saw the lads was on, was on the Tuesday night when I left against Scarborough. And then the next time I saw the lads was when I went back on the Thursday afternoon with all the, the tracksuits and the, and the boots and stuff. And I hadn't even, you know, so i had gone from being this player to being that player no, obviously no different playing wise, but being at this club to that club. And it, it just, it just happened so quick. It was, it was literally, it was, you know, you, you see now signings they're drawn out and it's like, there's all this speculation that it takes weeks and months and stuff. I mean, I never had an agent. So Brian Flynn did all of my sort of financial stuff. And because I, I didn't know what, I, I didn't even ask for a wage at Liverpool. Brian Flynn did all of that. He said, I've, I've sorted this for you, and, and this is what you're going to get. This is, it's a three-year contract. Uh, this is what you're going to get, and there's no negotiation of it. It's yes or no. But I, I didn't get them figures until a week, 10 days after. So I'm, this, I'm still being a Liverpool player for 10 days, don't even know what wages I'm getting.
0: Yeah,
1: And I'm like, oh, right, okay. Cause am it, I still was,
0: 100 quid a week? Has it been bumped up to 150? It, it was, <laughs> I
1: think it was something like, I think they'd sort of put it up to about 400 pounds, something like that, yeah. you know? So, but you look at it then and you go, well, and, you know, I still get it now. People say, oh, you shouldn't have left Rexxum to go to Liverpool. So why not? If you had the opportunity to go from a football club, yes, it's your hometown club, to at the time, don't forget in 92, Liverpool, but had all the glory years of twenty, twenty-five years of being European champions, of being the best team in the UK, best team in the world, why would you not go? And then on top of that, someone says to you, well, we'll quadru- quadruple your wages as well. Why would you not go? You know, I, I, still, get, you know, I still get people asking, you know, why did you leave Wrexham when you were 17? I, I just think, well, why would you ask that question? Because it's just... <laughs> It's strange that people think. I mean, obviously, you know, if you're working in a, in a normal job now and someone says to you, right, come and work for us and I'm going to quadruple your wages, you're not going to say, mm, I'm not sure about that. I think I'll stay yeah. where I am because I like it here. You know, and that's... and Sometimes I struggle to get my head around that a little bit.
0: Yeah, but. there's there's been that a lot over the years. with, Well, it's, I guess any club, there's always that. Because yeah, to us as fans, it's... Yeah, 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 it's like to us as fans, Wrexham is the be on all So why would you want to leave? But but you've yeah. got to take yourself out that situation. And even though Wrexham is your club in this case, yeah. it's still it's yeah. that a move up like what three divisions to. I'm not yeah. I'm not the biggest Liverpool fan, but to one of the greatest yeah. clubs in the world. Yeah, um, exactly. And, and to get to play with Ian Rush, and also it's that it's at that transition period of yeah. Liverpool where I guess they they bring you in there with the there's that chance of you could be this. The next Star Strike of Liverpool, so you've got they're kind of giving you the opportunity to lead them into a new, um, yeah. new era of glory, I guess. Um, yeah. so it's and like you said, the financial side of it with with um to help out Rex. I remember at the time when Neil Roberts left, there was a he got a, and I couldn't believe it at the time, he got a little bit of stick. And it's like, well, because mm. Neil went and I don't think he well, obviously he went because he went to a high level with Wigan, he'd go on to play yeah. Wales, um, because of that, but that money went into building a whole new stand for us, so it's there's. Still Brian Hughes, of things
1: Brian Hughes left and went for a million pounds and they bought yeah. colliers with it yeah, so, yeah yeah yeah
0: you know yeah.
1: that's there's there's loads of the players you know loads of players that have been there and and I think you know if you yeah you've got to look at it from a selfish point of view from a fan point of view but also you've got to think about your career because it is it's, it's a short career as well you know it's 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 that short you've got to make the best of the opportunities when they come along and and if you don't and obviously, you know, you, you'll probably regret it later on in life. You know, yeah. I, I do not regret anything that any club that I've ever been at or chose to be at or left at certain times, really. You know, I've always thought to myself, I've made that decision as a football decision, not as anything else to, to sort of not better myself, but to give myself the best chance of playing at the best level and that's obviously why I why I left all them years ago and I got loads of stick but don't believe me I got absolutely loads of stick from loads of reps and fans you know I got letters through the door you know from the post saying I'm going to kill you I'd drive my, my, drive my car into town and my ta- my, and I'd come back to my car after being to the bank or whatever it is and my car's covered in chips and curry and or you name it you know I had loads and loads of abuse for probably 6 months after that's a reason that I don't live in Wrexham anymore, by the way, because I had to leave Wrexham because of the abuse, you know, stones through the windows, lived in Boris, loads of stuff, you know. Look, there's loads and loads of things I could tell you about. You'd go, wow, I didn't realise that. And that was a reason that I moved from Wrexham would have been 90... When did I leave Wrexham? 94, 95, I think. it was, 90, No, it was earlier than that. 93 was yeah, when I actually yeah. left living in Wrexham because it was just got stupid, you know, but, and again, there's loads of players that would probably say that who are in different clubs and, you know, but it is what it is.
0: Yeah. I think with that, you you talk about how you've got to take that chance when it comes. And I mean, to to me, Cole Connolly is probably my favourite ever Wrexham player, but and I've I've said this to him, there's, I think there's, I'd I'd have happily had Cole Connolly play for Wrexham even to this day, putting his boots on it, whatever it is. 50 something I'm sure uh, but yeah. to me it's like I thought Cole stayed a little bit too long in terms of his career like, it was great for yeah. Rexham, but he got his yeah. move to QPR which is in the Championship eventually but <laughs> I'm, 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 when you look at it and take yourself out of the situation you're thinking well, well I think have gone maybe two years before and when he was yeah. maybe 27 and where that could yeah. have gone then there's, instead of being loyal to Rexham and staying at Rexham, but yeah. from a career standpoint you've got to look at that as, as the player and, and that the higher level they can get to and, and yeah. bet themselves I that's guess. it
1: yeah, well, and, you know, Gaz Owens is a prime example. Yeah, Gaz could yeah. have left three or four times. You know, Gaz had a testimonial, played 10, 12 years at Wrexham, whatever it was. Gaz could have left three or four times and, and, and gone to bigger and better clubs. Gaz chose not to, you know, but that's, that, that's Gaz's choice, you know, yeah. and, and no, yeah. one can, no one can say that he made the wrong decision because he's a Wrexham legend now, you know. It's, it's, you know, he's very highly regarded, but as, as Gaz got it in his mind, is he thinking, hmm, I wish I'd have gone then because I'd have tested myself at a higher level. Who knows? you know? Gaz, is, Gaz could be totally happy that he stayed where he was all his career and, and he loves Wrexham to bits. You know, the same as what I do, but I just chose a different path. And, and many players did the same as what I did. And, and many players chose the path that Gaz did as well.
0: Yeah. Um, and what we'll talk about, Gaz, before we get fully away from that first Wrexham spell... Yeah. That ball against West Ham, uh, and that goal against West Ham, it's just... I miss it.
1: That, that wasn't even meant for me. I said, I always wind him up. I said, that was a pass to Stevie Walken that was over it. Uh, but I, it... I made it look a good
0: ball. But that was part of his logic, was that when he um, he talked about it when he was on, because his chat was a two-part, I think it was the first part yeah. of the chat, he talks about it, about how when he got the ball and he hit it, and he said, he saw you going, and he like, well, Lee's going there. He's got the legs on Tim Breaker as the final man. Yeah but if the ball doesn't go, what goes out? Are you sure? And he can get it. Yeah. So it's kind of hedging his bets, really.
1: Yeah, to be fair, Gaz was unbelievable passing the ball. And I, and I always knew whenever Gaz picked the ball up, whether it be anywhere in his in the 18-yard box, roughly where he was when he made that pass against West Ham, yeah. or anywhere in the middle third, That uh, if I made a run, he'd find me. And, you know, joking apart, you know, it it was a fantastic pass. I, I I I obviously think it was meant for me because if you have a look at the trajectory of the ball, it was well over Stevie Watkin. Yeah. It was in between the two, it was in between Tim Breaker and I can't think what the other defender, what what his name was.
0: Uh B. Colley and um, Colin Forrest. No. Breaker, Foster. Yeah, Colin Force and Foster. Foster. Is it? Yeah, in between them, and then
1: obviously he gave me a pretty easy task to just go through and, and put it in. Although it did bobble a little bit and it and it did seem like an eternity when it came off my shin if you like or, or top of my ankle that I think if I'd have hit it well I'd have probably missed yeah looking back at it but it was a scuffed shot went under McClosco's arm but from the moment I hit it to the moment it went in it was just like time stood still it was just t- took an age but then obviously that relief when it went in but I feel I felt hard done by in the second leg because I felt that we should have given the opportunity, we should have beat yeah. West Ham. Yeah. Tim Breaker obviously bringing Carl down, it was a sending off. Never, you know, and how it never was, I don't know. And and we obviously, we end up losing from a corner. Uh, so it was disappointing the way that we went out. But, you know, in terms of looking back and, and certainly that helped my move, if you like, because obviously that was, it was being sort of, you know, match of the day and stuff like that. So it was... I, I like to say it was a good pass from Gaz.
0: Yeah, a hell of a ball. A ping,
1: I believe good. they call it. Good. <laughs> yeah, good ping.
0: Yeah. Uh, when, the, when the move came about then to go to Liverpool, was there any other interest? Because there's, I'm, I'm sure I read the story at one point or heard the story at one point that maybe Man United had shown some interest at all. Was yeah, there, was well, there anyone found, you knew about? I found out later that uh, Liverpool had obviously signed
1: us, but I think it was Brian Flynn that, that told me later on that Alex Ferguson at the time had gone away for four days and he had inquired about me prior to me playing that week and apparently he had said to Brian that don't let him sign for anybody, I'm away for a week and obviously, you know, we would we would be interested in him if, if things evolve, if you like. But I think the fact that Graham Sooners came and watched him on the Tuesday, they've obviously spoken, the two clubs have obviously spoken on the Wednesday morning And then for them to say, right, we will give you this money now.
0: Yeah.
1: I think that the the club have probably gone, well, we can't wait for Sir Alex Ferguson to get back off holiday for four days because he might not be interested. So, and and obviously, and again, going back to 1991, 92 as it was, it wasn't a case then you could just send a text message to somebody or just make a phone call because mobile phones weren't around. You know, it would have probably taken two or three days. So I think that it was just the fact that Liverpool had said, "Right, there's the money. We want to take him, and we're going to take him tonight." I think that's what sort of why it was pushed through. But then obviously, Brian had told me that there was an interest from them, but just wasn't to be.
0: You know, it was just one of them things, I don't, don't regret it one bit. Yeah. Uh, how do you how do you feel like feel when that you get that price tag put on you because I mean mm. these days when you look at teenagers going it's like 20 million oh. 25 million but 300 grand back in 1992 was a lot for uh, an 18 year old. Yeah, it, it's probably the equivalent to around sort of
1: 10 million now uh, yeah. Wh- yeah. whatever it is, you know, if you if you look at inflated prices and the way players went. But I got to be honest it was something that never even entered my mind in terms of I never used to go onto the pitch and think oh, I'm worth 300,000 pounds. I never went on the pitch and used to think anything other than I won up in this game of football. And that was that was how it always was. Uh, and yeah, I mean, I think some, some players might look at it and go, oh, I'm worth 15, 20 million, whatever it might be, and it might affect their performances. But with me, it, it just wasn't... I didn't feel I was worth £300,000 in the first place because I six months prior to it, I was playing for Lacks at Stansted against Corwin or whatever it was. So I didn't feel any pressure
0: from that because I
1: didn't really take much notice of it.
0: Yeah. Um, and How was it getting just into that? Because like I've said, to me, Wrexham is the the greatest football club in the world, but mm. I, I, even taking my rose-tinted t- yeah, yeah. glasses off, Liverpool's clearly a level above, a standard above in terms yes. of the, the club and the quality of yeah. player there. But how, how was it to yeah. then go into those training sessions where you've got those, you're playing with Premier League players, you're playing with players yeah. that have, have won so much at, at that point in time?
1: Yeah, I, I mean, I've got to be honest, the first six months, I absolutely hated it there. Right. You know, every day I I would get into training, I would train and I would get out of the club as quickly as I could. I didn't, I, I'm looking back, didn't give myself the best opportunities when I was there. You know, I said it to many people. Uh, but the first six months for me were horrendous. And it was only when I'd gone back to Wrexham. I used to basically finish training, drive back to Wrexham, and sit in the changing room with all the lads, all the apprentices and all the, yeah. And, that, and that's what, that would be every day. And obviously the staff and Joey and and would see that this was happening. And I remember Joey, and again, going back to Joey being like a, like a father to me. Uh, I remember him pulling me one day, I'd driven back to Rexham, he said, I, I need to speak to you. And I was like, oh, right, okay. And he sat me in the office for about an hour, something like that. And he just basically said, what, what's happening? Why, why do you keep coming back? And I said, I, I just don't like it, Joey. And he went, right. He said, well, you've got to not come back here in the afternoons. He said, you need to go, go to Liverpool every day and you need to be the best player in training. He said, you need to make sure that you do an extra. He said, so obviously in the afternoons, you shouldn't be coming back here. He said, you need to be practising. He said, like you've done when you were at rep. He said, go out and practise. He said, I know it's difficult. I said, "Well, you know, I don't really know the lads like I know me." He said, "No, you don't." He said, "But he said it was the same when I went to Liverpool." He said, "You know, I was on the estate in London." no he said, "I'm thinking, I'm not. I can't. i not good enough for Liverpool Football Club," and that's how I felt. After probably a month of being at Liverpool, I thought to myself, "I've made a massively wrong decision here because every day was, like I said to you before, was being at you on the edge of the stick every single day, and it was." I was there for five years and I can honestly say I think in five years I maybe had a handful handful of days where I've actually felt oh I did okay that day because no matter what you did at the football club they hit you on the head every day just you look back I look back at it now and think Jesus Christ you know if they'd have maybe because different players react different ways if they'd have put yeah. an arm around me and gone listen well done blah 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 it may have different, but then you, I look at it and go, well, actually, they were trying to get the best out of me every, every single day by hitting me on the head, and that was Liverpool's way, and it, that was a way that it worked. So, you know, I recall we were playing in a reserve game. Uh, this was probably two or three years into my career now at Liverpool, and we were playing at Anfield, and we used to get 35,000 watching reserves in the evening at Anfield. We're playing Leeds, last game of the season. They've got Cantona, Hodge, John Lukic, you know, Mel and all, all uh, the sort of Gary McAllister's, all playing last game of the season. And we need to win the last game of the season to win the, win the Pontins League. And bearing in mind that for the last four years, Liverpool had always won it. So it was a tradition that, oh, we've got to win, but we need to win this game. So, cut a long story short, we win the game 7-2. So I'm playing up front with Robbie Fowler and I have scored four and Robbie Fowler scored three. So we've won the league. So we're in the change rooms after Anfield. Sammy Lee was the manager and he came come in. He said, fantastic, lad, well done. And it was always like this after games. So one would always come in and say, listen, you've done well, blah, blah, blah. It's a good cop. Then the bad cop comes in. So Sammy Lee's fantastic. Duh, 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 duh. He said, uh, you can all have tomorrow off. He said, we'll see you Thursday. I'll see you Friday, whatever day it was. Next thing, the door flies open and it's literally come off the hinges. And it's Ronnie Moran. And Ronnie Moran, his face is like thunder. And we're all like looking, thinking, Jesus, what, what's up like? So we come in and he started. He went, lads, he said, decent performance. Think you could have done better. Like that. I'm thinking, we just won 7 2. It's Cantona and all these players. So he goes round and he points at me and he went, How many chances did you have today, son? So I said, oh, about six or seven, Ronnie. And he went, how many did you have, son? So he points to Robbie Fowler. And Robbie Fowler went, yeah, maybe six or seven. He went, well, scoring four and scoring three is not good enough for Liverpool Football Club. He said, so you two tomorrow, you're in with me doing shooting. And he points to the goalkeeper who's like stood in the corner, who hasn't even come on. And he went, and you've done nothing tonight either. So, you're coming in shooting in the morning as well. So, I'm there like, Jesus, I can't do anything at this football club because no matter what I do, I'm just getting all up for it. So, I come in the next morning, me, Robbie Fowler, goalkeeper, coach. Uh, so the goalkeeper, reserve keeper, pull in. There's not a soul at Melwood apart from us three and Ronnie Moran. Ronnie Moran had us doing shooting for an hour and a half. And they went, right, you can go. Everyone in normal time tomorrow. So everyone's off and I'm, I'm in doing shooting. And I'm thinking, do you know what? I, I just, I can't work it out. But now I look back and go, Jesus Christ, I know why. I know why they did it. Because the standard of Liverpool was not a standard of anywhere else. It was always this up here. Um, and I was probably playing to there and yeah, they wanted yeah, me to get above the level. So by hitting me with a stick every day, they were doing what they'd done with Kevin Keegan, with John Tosher, with Ian Rush, with Dean Saunders. And they were doing it and following it with me. But when you're actually in it and you and you're in the midst of it, you just think you're getting it on their head honestly every day. Bang, bang, bang. And that's how it was, you know. And you could train every day. And I'd come off training and run, and I'd think, oh, I've had a good training session there, and I'd walk past Ronnie Moran and he'd go. Still never be as good as Ian Rush, son. Like that. Wow. And I'd be like, wow, I've just had, I think I've had a great training session and I've been doing a shooting session. And I've scored loads of goals. But it wasn't him saying to me, well, you know, you're crap. He was wanting me to go, right, I'm going to show you and I'm going to yeah. get to the next yeah. level. I sort of look at it and think, now, he was right to do it. But at the time you're in it, you just think, I can't do no right. And I used to say that to Joey. I said, Joe, I said, and I'd go in and said, Joey, I said, no matter what I do, you can't win. He went, that's their way. He said, the time to worry is when they don't say anything to you. He said, when they just ignore you and they don't say anything to you, you're done. Yeah,
0: they up on you you're, yeah.
1: you're finished. They give up on you, move on. So while you're getting the bollockings every day, take it, work harder. And that was it. You know, but that and that's how it was. You know, it was every every day. But when you're in amongst it, it's difficult. I mean, I I probably I one regret really I'm in my career. Well, I've got a couple, but that the main one is when I was at Liverpool, I didn't work hard enough. Which you know, I, I was given a great opportunity, but what I should have been doing every day, I should have been working as hard as I could to be better, and I never did. You know, I probably got to a point where I thought, I've done enough want Liverpool now. But it was never enough. It was always, you know, got to get to that level, next level. So, but as I say, I don't, I don't regret it.
0: And there we are. That seems as good a time as any to uh, to put a cork in this, as uh, I guess the saying goes. There's still just over an hour left of this conversation with Lee Jones, but that will be available next week. Um, there's so much more to talk about. There's his two loan spells at Wrexham before then signing uh, permanently under Dennis Smith and helping us get promotion to uh, to what will be now uh, League Two. And uh, and yeah, there's just so many other different elements and angles to cover with Lee Jones as his his involvement in the Wales camps. His a couple of caps he got for Wales. There's how things came to an end at Liverpool, which. Graham Sooner seems like a, an interesting fella, should we say? And, and also there's questions from fans for Lee and there's his Rexham 11. His And this is somebody who's had four spells at Rexham over the space of, what, 11, 12 years, as it as it were. So there's a lot of players to pick from. So Lee picks his 11 of players involved in uh, his time at the race, well, his times at the race course. But that is all next week. Thanks for listening. Uh, be sure to like, subscribe, comment, all that good stuff. Retweet, share the love, spread the love, feedback, reviews, all of that is welcome. Thanks for listening. And uh, I'll catch you next week.
1: Raksha, Raksha, is the name, Raksha, Raksha
0: is